It's time for Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo. This new show discusses trends, technology, and tactics to help the listener learn more about improving sales, saving money, and fulfilling a personal mission through entrepreneurship. On today's show, we'll interview Chicago musician Luis Galvez about his journey to becoming a successful singer, choral director, teacher, and founder of a nonprofit organization for singers. But first, a word from our underwriter. Welcome to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM. I'm your host, Mark Mondo. We're on the air in Valparaiso, Indiana, and you can listen to us streaming on the website at wvlp.org or use the TuneIn app on your mobile device and look for WVLP. 103.1 FM WVLP is a local nonprofit radio station based in Valparaiso, Indiana. This show, like many of the shows on WVLP, are made possible by the generosity of donors and underwriters. We accept donations at WVLP.org. Simply click on the support tab and make a one-time donation or sustained pledge to WVLP. All donations are tax deductible. Underwriters are made up of businesses and organizations that support the shows on WVLP. Getting down to business with Mark Mondo would like to thank Homes by Hortensia, a Coldwell Banker affiliate in Porter County, Indiana, for their support. Homes by Hortensia has served the region's residential real estate needs in Indiana for over 12 years. Contact Hortensia Moreno or Tiffany Zorio at 219-249-5118 in case you're a listener, here is my backstory. or visit homesbyhortensia.com. I've been a consultant for small businesses for the Homes last 25 by Hortensia, years, helping small businesses Espanol. implement customer relationship management software, otherwise known as a CRM system, where I learn their business processes and customize the software to help them gain an advantage in sales, marketing, or customer service. But there is... But there is much more to becoming a success in business than just having a good CRM system. That's why I bring on guests to tell their stories and share tips on either technology, tactics, or trends they use to become successful. So let's get into it and introduce everyone here today. To one side is my producer. She's also the star soprano, and she's my wife, Mrs. Cynthia Zimmerman. Hello, hello. And to my other side is a professional Chicago musician, Luis Antonio Galvez Alcantara. I hope I said that right. He's a native of Lima, Peru, and a sought-after singer described as the golden tenor by Heidi Weiss of the Sun-Times and a gorgeous operatic tenor voice by the Third Coast Review. In addition to performing, he teaches as the director of choral music at Mary Mother of Divine Grace Parish, and he's the founder and executive director of the North Shore Opera Hour, a 501c3 nonprofit. In 2013, Luis received the Peruvian Tumi Award in recognition of entrepreneurs who build a prosperous and democratic America, demonstrating our cultural contribution and strength and the influence of Latin American immigrants. He is a graduate of the Chicago College of Performing Arts and completed the Chicago series in liturgical music at St. Joseph's College in Rensselaer, Indiana. And also, he recently completed certified training in the neurovocal method for contemporary commercial singing. Wow, that was a lot. Welcome, Luis. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I invited Luis here because it's a very different perspective to make a successful career from my upbringing. A quick biography on my background. My family had several businesses over the years from the 70s to today. One of them included a landscaping business, which also was a snow plowing business in winter. Then in the early 80s, they installed cable television, not being the cable guy like Jim Carrey in the movies. Instead, the city would hire my dad's contracting firm, and they went with the big ditch diggers and the trench diggers and literally installed the cable underground throughout the cities to lay the infrastructure that we use today. That evolved into a computer-aided design service bureau or CAD service bureau. When that market dried up, they turned it into a print shop and then eventually evolved into commercial real estate. 
Notice how none of that involved music or the arts. Cynthia and Louise, now you see why I just don't understand your musical theater background. I resort to things like Iron Maiden and Metallica. All I've learned about Gilbert and Sullivan is listening to you and a little bit of Sideshow Bob. Yes. <laughs> yes. Those well, it has to start somewhere. Yes. And thank you, Kelsey Grammer. So I also wanted to lead this quote about the music industry today, and it baffles me from over here. This is from Joni Mitchell. It's a couple sentences, but I think it's really worth hearing. She states, I heard someone from the music business saying that they're no longer looking for talent. They want people with a certain look and a willingness to cooperate. I thought, that's interesting because I believe a total unwillingness to cooperate is what makes it necessary to be an artist, not for perverse reasons, but to protect your vision. The considerations of a corporation, especially now, has nothing to do with art or music. And that's why I spend my, my time now painting. Again, that's Joni Mitchell, not me painting. So I found this was sourced this morning on my Facebook newsfeed by a colleague who's been a guest on our show a couple of times. His name is Michael Wyan, and he's not a musician himself, but an aficionado of jazz. And he and I he has a such a different perspective on music than I do. And I, I got two professional musicians here and I wanted to open the discussion on her thoughts. And I got somebody else lined up on thoughts in the music business. So what do you think? What, what, what do you think what Joni says here? Well, I've always said that in terms of being a professional musician, artist, et cetera, your definition of success changes over time. That's why I really love at this stage in my life where I've been singing for, for a number of decades that I'm now singing with people that are in their 20s and their 30s. And it's kind of fun to, to see um, their aspirations they're wanting to become household names at some point like renee fleming or placido domingo or the people that are famous now you know uh, some of these famous singers at this point that are so famous they're just escaping my mind you know but uh, <laughs> but um and then to, to see that as a seasoned performer they can also see that if you maintain yourself and continue to work on your craft that you can continue to serve in the music if that's what your heart desires and that's also what success is and for Joni Mitchell you know she she was you know an incredible writer and an artist and it makes sense to me that that at this point in her career she's at a different point now and so success for her isn't necessarily let's say becoming a household name to, to 20 and 30 year olds, but probably at this point now it's for her, it's, it's what she's leaving as a legacy in her other art form, which is painting, which for her now is a success. And, and that I think is the key. I think you wind up just redefining what is successful for you. And then you stick with it. And sometimes you get little surprises here and there. Uh, but overall, I think that if you, allow that change to happen i think that makes for a a happier performer and, but definitely you can tell that she was also uh, ahead of her time in terms of women in the industry and that she wanted to take risks and chances and i think that's also an important part of being a musician and uh, um, there are many that that have gone on to do greater things because they weren't that, or they didn't want to be placed into a box and said, well, this is what I'm going to be. You know, they've got this wonderful BBC uh, documentary on Dame Janet Baker, who was one of my favorite singers, Dame Janet Baker. It was on for free. You could watch it about a year ago. Then they took it off. So you had to pay for it. But somehow it's gotten back on YouTube. And I shared it today. And it talks exactly about this sort of trajectory of singing and the choices she made in her life and when and why and how uh, she became a, a very well-known singer for her era. And so I think that uh, um, she also said that if she had been allowed to 
stay in the box of being a contralto, she would have just spent her life singing messiahs and sitting in a chair for most of the concert while, the, <laughs> while you know, it was her turn to sing her solo. And that would have been it. And if she hadn't ventured into the fact that she had a, a much higher range to offer as well, she went and did lots of mezzo-soprano things. And then also um, one of her colleagues even called her a dramatic soprano too, because there were some things that you know she always sang with, with such fervor to the text, you know, that it was, it was, it was a beautiful sound all the time. But anyway, that's what I think I, I, I can agree with, with Joni Mitchell on that. And of, and of course, I'm sure Cynthia, you know, too, we've got these, all these shows now where people can become famous overnight, you know, yes. and they have a little bit of talent, of course, and, and it's great to have a little bit of talent and ability, and it's good just to see, you know, in another five, 10 years where that sort of leads the people yeah, yeah. if they're still household names or still famous. Um, but we live in a society now where you can be you can be famous for a short amount of time and and consider that still successful. Um, whereas in the past, in terms of actors as well, it took a while to to become established and to become a household name. Um, but there's room in this world for everybody. And I think that we all have gifts and we all should be allowed to offer them and to find ways to continue to offer them. I think people are very appreciative of that. So Cynthia, I need to hear your intersection of thoughts with the Joni Mitchell of the world. And I'm going to bring, I'm still waiting to bring in my next pop culture reference, which I know you just can't wait to hear. Uh, well, I, I like this quote from Joni Mitchell because to me it speaks as a female musician that she stuck to her guns. She did what she felt she wanted to do and pursue in her musical career. And when she realized that that was going to be harder and harder now that corporate America was controlling more of the music industry and decided to go in a different path, that takes a lot of courage and conviction to do that. When for the, when for the average musician, it's so hard just to get employment and consistent employment. Um, but in the end, you have to ask yourself, what kind of musician do you want to be? What avenues do you, you know, do you want to pursue? And then really being disciplined and pursuing those goals um, and redefining success as you continue through your journey, because not everyone is going to be a household name. They're not going to have multiple recording contracts and world tours and anything like that. Uh, and when I see these uh, shows with the, like The Voice and America's Got Talent, it's great that people can have that kind of exposure, that stage. But part of the reality of that is you don't know what goes behind the scenes in the way of managers and producers and how they can manipulate the outcome. So... Um, that's that's something I think for people wanting to go on that avenue, they need to really ready themselves to have a thick skin and to really stand up for themselves against what a producer, you know, or corporate influencer might have because they're looking at the bottom line where the artist is looking at being true to themselves as an artist. All right. If I, I did have another question before I get to my pop culture of the week reference because I'm a little behind the times on pop culture, but I will ask this. Do you believe YouTube democratizes music to get somebody to that next level? Or are we just a slave to an algorithm versus a, a record company? I was listening to an interview at the beginning of one with Lars Ulrich, one of the co-founders of Metallica. And he is in his early 60s. And he said, back then it was the record company's control gates to everything. Now, is it the algorithm? Do you think somebody has a chance to quote unquote go viral? It's definitely a new world, definitely for sure. Um, speaking of, of of YouTube and and managers, Cynthia and I, and of course you too, Mark. You know, we we had an acquaintance that just passed away, Richard Schaff, who was the lead singer for the Sandpipers, and he just passed away, I believe, a couple of days ago. And his funeral will be on Friday, but 
you know, he definitely had a long career and uh, his music was of a certain era and enjoyed hearing him sing and uh, he would come to some of our performances and we really appreciated it. But looking back, let's say at his in his days and Joni Mitchell's days, which are about the same time, that uh, if you had a performance group like a band or a group of singers, you basically had to cut a record and then go on the road to promote it. Mm-hmm. That was the way to do it then. But now with YouTube, as you're talking about, yeah, now with YouTube, you probably don't even need to do that anymore because you get something that that will get a million hits and and then then you can become successful just from that and not necessarily from having to do all this traveling like you used to have to do because now you can promote yourself on YouTube. Uh, everyone can have a YouTube channel from people who play the slots. I've <laughs> watched people do that. Just watch people play slots all day. Slot machines? Like slot yeah. machines. Yeah. yeah, people just play slot machines and they've got their own YouTube channels and you watch them win and lose and um, and they've got humongous followings. Uh, and well, that's that's kind of how I try to deal with my slot machine addiction is I rather <laughs> watch them, watch them play, you know, so I don't lose my money. Let's just watch them play. And some of it is very interesting and very entertaining. But that's one area that you know, along with, I'm sure, like cooking shows, which become which became very famous during COVID, where people were doing cooking shows, things like that, and they were getting incredible amount of hits and getting awards from YouTube for the number of followers that they had and hits that they had. And um, yeah, so definitely technology has changed the way people can become successful and you don't have to do the flying back and forth from one city to the next city promoting your album. Of course, people still do that, and uh, I think that's leading to your next person. Oh yes, <laughs> to talk about. All right, <laughs> I'm confused. This is a genuine. I'm confused. I just want to interject one point. YouTube has democratized in a way people's opportunity to be heard and to make a livelihood in their field or their talent or their expert, you know, their area of expertise or interest. But it also waters down, I think, a lot of the talent because there's so much out there that you're, you know, somebody that is very highly trained and a wonderfully gifted musician is, might not still get all the likes and the, you know, YouTube award for this music that they're performing compared to somebody who can lip sync or do renditions of artists, you know, do cover versions of other artists' music. And it's because it's popular music, they are getting all these hits. So there's a, you know, two sides to this coin, so to speak. So Yeah, and I think it saves a step too with with speaking of um, singers, you know, with auditions and competitions. Now, I've judged a few competitions as the founder and executive director of the North Shore Opera Hour. I've been asked to actually adjudicate for the last two or three years wonderful local polish um competition and all submissions are on youtube Mm -hmm. so you have to take that sort of with a grain of salt because obviously whoever can record themselves better or in a better sounding room uh will come across a certain way possibly better than the next person who didn't have the same kind of recording equipment but with that said too it's also a way of course of hearing more singers but in the end if you're going to be hired they still want to hear you live so they'll still have to get to that other step where i know cynthia and i we have that experience where we have to go actually and go to the place and audition Mm -hmm. and have them see you and look at you and Mm -hmm. and measure you that way (laughs) but they'd have to hear you live but yeah so there are pros and cons just like any other kind of social media um but I think the big one I've noticed is just this whole traveling thing, that it's not as necessary as it used to be uh, for an artist to travel and promote their record. Some people don't know what a record is. <laughs> <laughs> it's an icon on their desktop. So, all right, here's the question, because it's the pop culture lexicon. I can't watch an NFL game without it, especially if I'm watching the Chiefs. Every five minutes, they cut to Taylor Swift cheering on her boyfriend. (laughs) All right. 
aside that Barbie and Ken, they're Barbie and Ken. I look at a Taylor Swift. I've heard we've had another guest on the show. Her name is Cindy Chang. She was mm-hmm. in a couple qualifying rounds rounds of America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard, obviously, I've heard you sing. I've heard Louise sing. I've heard another guest on our show sing. Her name is uh, Tina Papademos. She was on a few weeks ago, and everybody's talented. And we went to a recital. Uh, I went to a recital that Louise sang at, and Tina sang at, and a couple other people I've never met before, and all their talent was off the charts. And now I know there's some career goals. Hey, I'm at a stage in my career, I don't need to be a household name. But I think some of these singers are still young and they're trying to aspire to that next level of either, I don't wanna say fame or fortune, but like, hey, I wanna be able to do a, make this, cut this for a living. How did Taylor Swift bust through that? Is she, is it the lottery of birth? Is it the lottery of looks? Is it the lottery of knowing an agent? Or does she have talent? And I hate to say this, I can't name a song from her. So I want to have a more critical analysis from the audience here, from the two guests. I think she does have talent. She writes her own songs for the majority of it. I think she's true to her own voice and the way of what she wants to say through her music. Um, But I think she also, her parents had some connections in the industry. Now, that doesn't guarantee anybody fame and fortune. I mean, she's worked very hard to get where she is, I'm sure. But it is always helpful to have somebody in the business to kind of creak open some of those doors and windows for you to get in to be heard. Yeah, I think the music business is just like any other sort of corporate business where if you have a helping hand somewhere along the way, for sure, that can be helpful to you. Uh, But definitely, yes, I have had some students that, a uh, piano student in particular that loves Taylor Swift and wanted to learn some of her songs. So we've learned about three of her songs. I think the, the last one we're working on now is called Champagne Problems. And um, Taylor Swift wrote that. And yeah, it's, it's, the words are very nice. The melodies are there and definitely has talent, like you're saying, Mark. She has definitely, absolutely, she has talent, like a lot of people have talent. But again, it's just sometimes, as they've said in the past, just sort of being at the right place at the right time and there are definitely at least four other talented young ladies that I know who are out there in bands within the city and also write their own music and 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 probably have that same amount of talent. Uh, and who knows, depending on how where that'll lead them, I'm, I'm not sure. But in my mind, they're already successful because they're out there. They're girls doing this. They're singing the bands. They're leading their bands, and they're writing their own music, and they've got their own specific kind of style. But definitely, that whole thing with Taylor Swift. I heard this morning on the radio that definitely she. It's great that she's uh, an entrepreneur herself. She's a, a woman. She's she's really uh, having a great effect on the economy, I guess, because of all those touring dates and the ticket sales and what it did for the the cost of getting a hotel room just to to attend the concert. And so that overall effect has been just great on the economy. And, and I think from what I know of her personally, in terms of what I've heard her say on programs, she seems like a very nice, a nice young lady. And just happens that she and her boyfriend now are kind of like the girl boy next door the barbie and ken of <laughs> this particular era and it's it's creating a little more attraction towards them yes but it it definitely can be a little overwhelming sometimes when you're just all you hear about is that but, right but that can go away quickly too so we'll just see what, where it leads to but if it's helping the economy i think anything that'll help the economy that's a good thing she is her own economic engine essentially she is yeah yeah she really the GDP is. of taylor swift is now equal to Lichtenstein or something. Who knows? So let's pull some similarities here. So you alluded to, again, I I didn't pull up a Wikipedia page on Taylor Swift. There's a support system. There's been a recurring theme on my show that it's not just that Horatio Alger story of, I just do it all myself. I was singing with a, Taylor Swift is on the side of a street in Hollywood with a tin cup dingling. And all of a sudden agent shows up and she gets a contract. What kind of systems have to be in place for a musician to start succeeding? Well, in my opinion, of course, um, 
I think Cynthia said this already, you do have to work on your on your trade, whatever it is. So you have to really continue to try to maintain it. Um, so definitely you should be continuing either to take voice lessons or, or have a vocal coach or have somebody that you can rely upon who can give you some honest feedback about how you might be sounding on something. That's definitely still kind of an important thing, especially for those of us that are now in the fifth or sixth decade of singing, you really have to prepare your voice in a different way. I've always been lucky because the type of voice that I have, which sort of is a sort of a baritoner kind of voice, um, always had a richness and a weight to it that forced me to always have to up or do something before I could even try to try to sing well or blend well in a choir, for instance, mm -hmm. or of course, even sing well as a soloist. I mean, you have to really work towards it. So I've been lucky that way that my voice never just came out just because I wanted it to. <laughs> right. We right? both have, we both were given the talent of singing, but we had to work on the craft to get it to where we could be successful with it. And it's just, it's like any other muscle in your body. If you don't use it regularly, you lose it. You have to keep it in condition and you have to learn to, to have a healthy lifestyle to pursue your performing. And you can't party like Motley Crue. Nope. Not all the time, maybe occasionally, not all the time. but yeah, but yeah, not all the <laughs> time. You notice my so. references are not Gilbert and Sullivan partying performers and music. <laughs> yes, metal from the 80s. That's okay. The other thing I think that also helps is we're talking about that. So preparing yourself and your instrument and make sure that's in the best shape that it can be, of course. And then um, I would say having a support system is, is very good. So some people are luckier than others. I haven't been as lucky uh quite frankly but when you have let's say somebody that's supporting you financially or can help you pay for these auditions and pay for these trainings and pay for that is the difficult part of um being an entrepreneur really in the business because Raising that's capital. expensive yeah Raising capital it's, it's yeah like it's hard but yet the other side of it is in which i have found successful for me is that there's still you can still be generous without always expecting something in return and i think that's one thing where i differ with a lot of my teaching colleagues right now especially with some of the ones that i'm i've met through my contemporary commercial training of the voice i think that you can be generous and occasionally you can still sing for less or sing for your supper or sing for a bit of the experience to meet people um, without it becoming abusive. And you have to sort of find that line for yourself because everybody has a different line for that. But the amount of times that I've sung for free, let's say, I've always made the choice myself and said okay this is going to work for me at this time this is this is what i can do and and believe it or not sometimes that singing uh i think can be even more beneficial to the person listening to it than sometimes when i'm paid to do something and i've got all the nerves and everything else like that behind that and then that doesn't become satisfying uh either to me or to the listener, because I'm a nervous wreck about it, you know. But sometimes you do have to find that line for yourself where you can be generous with your gift, but then also um, be wise about not falling into someone taking advantage of you, let's say. So, so, but that comes with everyone's personal choice. You, you will find that for yourself where that sort of falls in. I've been where I was raised in the church and so worked for the church, you know, for 40 years. So it, for me, an opportunity to sing for something when I was younger um, was just great. And then I went through a period where I would say, no, I can't do it unless I get paid some money. <laughs> and then I'm on this other side of it now where I said occasionally, yeah, I'll definitely sing for, for a pizza or something. <laughs> but if we're having fun within a group, be happy to do it. And it might bring some other people some joy to hear a song that they might like or something. I don't find it personally insulting. Uh, I'm very happy to to do it. But everyone has to find that for themselves. Sounds like and that's, me with consulting. 
Yeah. It kind of does. Like, can I be generous maybe, to that? Maybe answer one more question, right? Maybe. Oh, it's a quick help. question. Yeah. <laughs> In the tech support world. A quick question. One hour later. There is this thing that the Jewish people believe in mitzvah, and I've sung with the same temple for the last 30 years. And when you do something generous or good and you put it to creation of the atmosphere, it can come back to you. And sometimes that, that's the way it is. I think in this day and age now, with the Me Too movement especially, um, people aren't tolerating being taken advantage of anymore, not the way it used to be. And so you can find ways of being generous to everyone, and yet, like I said, not being overwhelmed or being taken advantage of. Before we get into the next segment, we wanted to let you know you're listening to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM, a community radio station out of Valparaiso, Indiana. Thanks for listening, and let's continue. I would like to now know, Louise, how did you get started in music? What was your journey? Did you go to a specific teacher? Just share with us how it all started for you. Well, like I had said, I, I really worked a lot for the church, and that's really kind of how it started, because I went to Catholic grammar school and Catholic high school. And um, in Catholic grammar school, I think in second grade is when we usually would do our first communion or make our first communion or receive our first communion. And um, I think the story my mother tells, she would say that she bought um, like a small little chord organ, a household little chord organ. And she actually bought it for my sister, Rosa, my older sister, to, to learn how to play on it because we do have musical grandparents especially both of my grandparents on either side were sort of like um the party musicians for all get-togethers one played the violin and one played the guitar and they would play typical music for the parties and i think even my father's father my paternal grandfather he even played a little more professionally i believe from what from what i was told he could read notes and things whereas my my other grandfather my mother's father just did it mostly by ear. But anyway, they would provide the music. So anyway, my mother bought this organ thinking that my sister would take to it, and I was the one that took to it. So I was the one that started playing on it and plucking out little melodies. And that's sort of how it started, that they discovered that I had that love of the of music. That way, my older sister wound up actually being more of a dancer. And so even though she's a doctor, she continues to dance to this day um, and dances with a company where, where she lives in Florida. But so we all love the arts. But so I started just these little melodies on the organ. And then my family thought, well, maybe I should take some piano lessons. And so in seventh grade, I started taking piano lessons with Sister Mary and Melissa. She was her order was the Sisters of Charity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And they were the teachers at my grammar school, Our Lady of Lourdes in Chicago on North Ashland Avenue. And that's sort of where it started. And so I quickly learned things on the piano. And then I was able to start playing for church services at about 10 years old. At that wow. time, they, they only had an organ. So I sort of had to adapt myself to the organ. But, you know, it was, it was an interesting story, too, because during that time, there's still some tension with more Hispanic families moving in and things like that and being part of the school and part of the church and Anyway, that's where I basically started. And I just started playing at about 10 years old and started to read music. Originally, I did mostly by ear, but then I started to read music. And that's sort of where the music thing was sort of born there. You could see that I had some ability there. Mm -hmm. And and then on into high school, I, I liked to do the um, musicals when I could, just in the musicals, and never got the top leading role because I never looked like the the boy next door but i would get like the the next mm -hmm. lower you one were the you know, comedic you were the yeah. comedic lead or something where somebody or character would need, lead right, yeah who could who could who had a decent voice and who could you know mm -hmm. and so um yeah and that's sort of the way it started but but even so even in high school i was still involved as music director for a church i was still doing that during high school 
And then as I went on to college, um, I wound up getting my teaching certificate in music education. And that was really something that I, I'm glad I sort of did that because I think that really was what, what was helpful to me financially to be a teacher, K through 12 teacher, even though I never did teach full time, but I was able to do that and to not only gain the teaching experience, but also I was able to still sing in professional groups mm-hmm. that I had the time to do it. Um, so that was that. And then continuing in my work in the church, then I needed some more liturgical training. So I went to St. Joseph's College in Rensselaer, did a three-year program for music and the liturgy. And uh, and that's basically how that just has just kept going. And you know, I did programs for singers and um, did some traveling and again, auditions and whatnot. And yeah, so uh, I didn't have, you know, enough money probably to do more auditions. But I, I think now when I look back, I think I'm, at, I'm in the right place right now. I think exactly where I should be. I feel like I, I'm better off being at a place where I can set roots. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm better. And I don't think I would have adjusted to too much traveling. It was too difficult for me. Um, and uh, I miss my family. You know, I want to always be with my family, very right. family oriented. Right. And I would miss my cats or my dogs or somebody, you know. <laughs> yes. uh, well, you also, you were actually performed for some of the better well-known groups here in Chicago. So it wasn't like you just did little gigs. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, was... you were quite successful as an operatic tenor. I was, I was. I sang the Chicago Symphony Chorus, the Lyric Opera Chorus. I sang, I was noticing Bella Voce, for instance, just had a beautiful concert. And I was in the original Bella Voce, which was called His Majesty's Clarks, uh, way yes. back when it was first founded yes. by a wonderful person. Um, you know, I, her name is Kipsy right now, but she's great. We just <laughs> talked about her recently because I just had a little college reunion last week. Um, but again, another group that was founded by a woman. So women have been following me, like, and Margaret Hillis, of course, the, the founder and director of the Chicago Symphony Chorus, you know, the the way women have sort of influenced me throughout the years have been, have been really a wonderful thing, because I find uh, a lot of inspiration in that. And there's a lot of connection between women's voices needing, needing to be heard and also minority voices needing to be heard, even to this day, that we still have to sort of, sometimes we have to be sort of blunt, (laughs) you know, and and get out there, unfortunately, because there still exists a lot of discrimination Mm -hmm. and we still have to fight against that all the time. You're also quite well known in the Peruvian American community as a musician who not only performs Peruvian music, but you've really lifted up the uh, Peruvian music culture in the community, both not just for Peruvians, but for other Americans. And I know I've had the opportunity yes, you sang to with sing us. with you <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, for fun. many, <laughs> for many, oppor- many Peruvian related uh, performances. And it's been wonderful. And I think you even got an award for that in addition well, to the Toomey Award. Yeah, I think you so, got some recognition. Yeah, previous to the Toomey Award, I got a, an award from the Association of Peruvian Institutions of the United States and Canada. So that was probably like maybe 10 years before the Toomey Award. And that was also for a similar thing as actually being called sort of, they use use a special term, but just as you're saying, sort of a representative of the community, a valuable representative of the community. And uh, yeah, that's been something that I think I want to continue to do. I started doing it basically playing the piano for for different Peruvian occasions because because I, I obviously love to play the piano and I can play some Peruvian music. And so that was great. And and you're right, Cynthia. Yeah, the other part of it is showing the variety of music that we have, because we do have our indigenous music, obviously. And then we have a lot of music that's accompanied by guitar and dance music. But then we also have, um, we also, we also want to show that we also have classical music too. Right. And so that we can use our classically trained voices towards our Peruvian music. And we've got great singers like Luigi Alva, who was kind of the first Rossini tenor in around the 60s and 70s. 
50s, 60s, and 70s. I think 60s and 70s. He was Peruvian, and he was a Rossini tenor. Of course, we have Juan Juan Diego Flores, who is probably the, the the most well known now Peruvian Rossini tenor. And many times, I wish I had been a Rossini tenor too. I think when I was in these <laughs> programs, people said that people thought that I would fall into that same category, but my voice just did not lend itself to singing that kind of stuff. It just really never, probably because I was more of a baritoner. Yeah. Well, um, I, I consider you, yeah. your quality of voice, I like your quality of tenor voice because it's richer. It's like a Plaza do Domingo richness to it, but it still has that brightness that you can hit all the high notes. Um, Thanks. So, I try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try. I try. <laughs> and that's another thing that's helpful to me is because my voice really hasn't dropped because mm -hmm. I was never a high C tenor. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not lamenting any high Cs I can't sing anymore because I really could never sing them in public. You know, I would sing B flats or Bs at the highest. Um, and because that's the kind of voice that I had, I think I think I was a little ahead of my time because now we've got singers like like Jonas Kaufman, for instance, who when you hear him sing, you'd swear he was a bass singing tenor mm -hmm. <laughs> because the voice is so, again, rich and dark, mm -hmm. yet he's got this, he can sing the upper notes. And I think it was hard for me to find exactly who to work with to kind of help to find that voice. Mm -hmm. Also, um, you've seen my cats here. You can't see them, but because we're on the radio. But the cats, <laughs> I, I definitely have some form of allergies. But I love my animals too, so I've right. had to sort of like just make a decision. Well, you know, some days I my allergies affect me more than others. But definitely, uh, I think um, I I'm in a good place now where I can say, you know, I think I've offered enough of myself to leave a little bit of a footprint, let's say if tomorrow I step off the curb and get hit by a bus, um, that people will remember that, you know, I was trying to be helpful with my music, not just for myself, but help other people. And and I think, again, that's something we wanted to go with the North Shore Opera. Yes. Well, that I remember when that started, it was you and I and Tina were all singing at Christchurch in their choir as their section leaders. And the, there was a lot of interest with the parishioners there wanting to hear us perform. And we all agreed that we wanted to do something that was kind of a pop-up tent version of opera performing. And so we came up with the North Shore Opera Hour where passion and music meet. And it was the, the, it was to be basically we come in and we do a program of operatic music but it wouldn't be staged. We wouldn't have costumes, everything. It would just be a nice one hour recital and of music. And it sometimes would have some musical theater in it. And sometimes it would not, but it would depend on what the audience wanted. And it was a way to give us more opportunities to perform because we were all having a difficulties having opportunities regularly to perform outside of our church and temple gigs. And so that's how it started. And then you, as the founder and executive director, also were just wonderful at getting us started uh, at different venues. You would find us different venues to perform in Skokie, uh, Winnetka, uh, Chicago. We've also done Taste of Peru, which is We've done that in the past many, many times throughout the years. We're on our 10th year of our farewell tour, I think. That's right, 10th year of our farewell tour. We're like Cher. That's We're right. Cher. Without the plastic surgery. One more time. Yeah, without stones. the plastic yeah. surgery. <laughs> but I'll let you take over from there. But I just know that there was a need, and we were looking for something that was a different from the other classical groups that were out there, classical musical groups. Yeah, I just saw that there were other groups, of course, that that could put on fully staged productions and, and you could go to that or you could obviously just go to the Lyric Opera to see if you wanted to see something that was fully staged. But because I, I, I've always liked older TV programs, I happened to be introduced for my, for my voice teacher, I think and even before that, because I still like to watch old videos of singers you know um but the the firestone firestone opera hour or the voice of firestone they would have a 
a one hour variety show where they would highlight one singer and the one singer would come and always sing the same song at the beginning and at the end and they would have them in different little scenes singing some of their greatest hits and usually of course somebody would be narrating it too or talk about the, the scene upcoming and so that's really kind of like what i had i continue to sort of envision sort of myself as sort of like alistair cook coming out and sitting in a wing chair and then <laughs> introducing singers and for this hour we're going to hear you know songs about mothers as we've done in the past or other other theme shows i know we've talked about possibly doing just gilbert and sullivan or, or famous duets of romance famous duets. yeah because people always love to hear those things and right um but also as you said not not too much of the frills uh, a little bit on the less is more so that we can concentrate just on hearing the beauty of the music and giving an opportunity to to singers to work on their repertoire maybe something that they've they've wanted to work on so if we did we've if we would do something, let's say, like um, The Marriage of Figaro, we would just do like some of the, the main songs of The Marriage of Figaro. We wouldn't do the whole thing. We wouldn't do the whole right. thing. We would kind of narrate, well, now this part happens, this part happens, and then have them come out and do their song. Because again, again it's a way of, of uh, having people work on their repertoire. And the other part of it, too, I must put in is that I've always wanted to make sure that everyone gets some sort of stipend because I know there are a lot of companies out there that nobody gets paid. And I know we just talked about that previously, but for something like this, especially now that we're hoping to maybe plan a fundraiser, I want to try to invite everyone who may have performed with us over the years to help us out, to raise money so we can put on a nice proper show to sing something. And they, but they would still get a stipend, even if it was a gas tank stipend, like $50. You know what I mean? It would be <laughs> yeah. something I, I would not want somebody singers again, to be classified as uh, those that are not going to get paid mm -hmm. while we have an orchestra being paid. Right. We can't, ha I can't have that. We won't have an orchestra. We'll just have a pianist, but at least that'll be affordable so I can pay the pianist, but also the singers would get some sort of stipend. Yeah. Because just, I don't think a lot of people know that these other small musical groups, whether they're early music or opera or operetta, they basically, none of the singers get paid. They're the ones up there performing because they need the experience to put in the resume, but they are not getting paid. All the other musicians who happen to play instruments in the orchestra or pianists, there is no question they're going to get paid. And that was one thing I liked about your viewpoint. Not only was it providing young and somewhat seasoned performers an opportunity to just perform in a in a different format, um, but we were also going to get some type of stipend. And I think that was an important precedent that you started. And also, yeah, I, we wanted we also wanted to make our performing less um, less foreboding, not boating, but welcoming to people who are not used to hearing opera or operetta. We want to kind of expand our audience base for people um, to get to know what opera is and that it's not so unattainable to enjoy. And yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a good point. Type of art form. Yeah. And also because that, 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 that's a two way street. It also, I think also helps to, to have the singer themselves also then not have some, so much anxiety over something because one thing that I've heard as a music director, as a choir director, people have told me over the years is at least I make it fun. You know, <laughs> so I'm trying mm -hmm. to make it fun. I don't want it to be work for people because I've worked in organizations where musical organizations where the providing of the music is made under mm -hmm. duress. Mm -hmm. And that absolutely limits you as a performer right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You cannot be free if someone is is treating mistreating you or forcing you or checking up on you constantly uh if, if i had a singer that that i that i knew was having some issue maybe learning the music during a rehearsal process it, i never doubted for a minute that that person wouldn't be able to sing the music well when it came time to perform it that never was was and, and it even happens now with choirs um i don't necessarily spoon feed people and say this that no i want people to be expressive on their own and i know that people will be able to learn it they'll do it it'll be great you know and it'll be lovely um mm -hmm. and we won't need to have to stress people out to 
perform something nice. Mm-hmm. And then and then of course that transmits to the audience because then the audience feels that that tranquility as well. And we're listening to something beautiful, um, something funny, you know, could still be serious, could still be about death, but it could, but it, but the way we, I, I've always felt it because of the, it's part of my personality is, you know, Mark, I was, I was trained by the three stooges. Now you're talking about mentors. <laughs> yes, I, I can see that as a support group, Larry, Moe, and Curly. <laughs> because we learned so much as youngsters, you know, watching cartoons and right. Mm-hmm. Bugs Bunny and right. the variety shows. And whenever I see Cynthia, I see Carol Burnett. I just see yes. you. I see you are Carol Burnett. You have lots of her expressions and all that <laughs> stuff. And so we grew up on those kinds of variety shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and you could tell that at those shows, you know, the people were, were having fun. They're still working hard, but they came from a center of joy and passion and respect. Yes, 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 yeah, and and like I said, with the with the with the Me Too movement now, we we no one's tolerating divas and devos anymore, and you can't be mm-hmm. taken advantage of anymore. You have you have a voice now. You can say no, this isn't right. Uh, I'm not going to do this just because you tell me this is going to help me or whatever. No, I'm going to be true to myself, and. Um, and I will find my path because that's how it was for me too. I mean, I, I had those Me Too movements, yeah, Me Too movement experiences as well, where where I could have certainly fallen prey to some of that. Mm-hmm. But overall, for me, it was like I I was mostly concerned when I was in these opera programs or uh, any of those teaching programs. I was always like, well, I'm here to find out if I have any talent. Uh, that's my primary purpose, you know, not to. Uh, have any kinds of personal liaisons with people, you know? Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Another show. Yeah, that's, that's another totally another. different. Yeah, exactly. Because I want to know if I have any ability. And um, and now I think over the years, both Cynthia and I and Tina as well too, I think we we have been able to to I think uh, validate ourselves that we have an ability, you know, that of course mo- a lot of people have talent. But you need to be able to work with other people. You need to be have a good disposition. You need to be willing to take a risk here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But still, that's what really makes a, a successful performer. So with the North Shore Opera, I'm hoping that I can continue to to offer that. And uh, people out there, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll hear at some point we'll have a nice little fundraiser where we can um, put on a, a nice show in a nice little theater where we can have a nice audience and again promote um our talents that we have in the yeah. greater chicago we need to you know we need to promote the new and upcoming talent you know so that's important oh yeah yeah and there's some good ones out there there's some good ones out there people that are like How us i think promoted to work what do you think there is a north shore opera hour platform i think we talked about that a little bit with social mm-hmm. media and the youtubes yeah uh, I was going to ask him what the challenges are because I kind of know it, but for the audience, I'd like him to, yes. to share well, what the challenges are of promoting a nonprofit yeah. and, well, I, and keeping it viable. Because well, it's, I think um, it's a challenge. You need a staff. That's the first thing, and yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because one person can't do the whole thing. And the but as we talked about YouTube, that's a big one. I think lots of people who might want to hire us want to see if we have any samples and that's where the youtube thing comes in and where is the thing that i'm that i'm trying to get better at and maybe with my colleagues that i'm getting to know now with this uh, gentleman named eric Campos. he's the one that has this little group where they um they present snippets of of themselves singing sometimes in costume and whatnot uh, along with a video of uh, of uh, something from musical theater or a cartoon or something, um, and he's very good at that. And hopefully, he'll be able to give me some advice on that. But definitely, I think um, social media is is really the thing for the new companies uh, and entrepreneurs that you really have to get that technology. And that's again, I was saying during the break with Cynthia, is that that's something we were not taught. We went to music school. That was no. nothing. That we were now talking. It's, it's second nature that you'll be your own 
your own manager, entrepreneur, branding your image, branding your voice is second nature to a lot. And that all based on technology, which I think for you, Tina and I, and many others kind of learned very quickly during COVID how to use that for our music to mm-hmm. keep it going. Um, being able to record remotely, <laughs> using Zoom, uh, being remotely in different parts of the same building and recording together. So there was a lot that I think uh, older musicians learned about technology during COVID. Yeah. And the great thing I see with the young people is that, that they're so open to that. They, they know that, uh, they can still be involved in the music business, mm-hmm. not necessarily always as singers, let's say yes. some of them go into, um, wigs and makeup transcribing music because a lot of the graduates now are being taught how to write music and how to transcribe it through computer programs so a lot of colleagues that i've met on the side they will transcribe music you know either composers handwritten music which then they will write out in notation you know for you to be able to read it or they can take a song off youtube and if you need you need that the melody in they'll write it out. Yes, they'll just put it in. Part. They're very good. So the the kids these days, you know, they they they're really good at um, trying to branch out into other areas that are still going to help them. Some of my students um, are into recording books. They're using their voices for recording books. They're getting into this business of recording books and doing audio books. Yes, and voiceover. When we started, you know, your options in addition to performing was teaching, conducting, which are what you're doing and being a, you know, either being a producer or a director of an organization or a small company. And now because of technology, that's even expanded more to what what one can do as a musician to bring an income because it's it's hard to make a living you have personal expenses and i think for you an inside joke for the two of us is getting that health insurance card you know it's really hard to get health insurance when you're an entrepreneur and oh even musician or not it it's 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 rough yeah it's hard for everybody yeah and that's one of the things too that i again i've i've been relatively lucky in the sense that i've continued to to continue to work for the church. And so having benefits and insurance has been an important thing as, you know, as we get older, obviously we get more health issues. Um, so when you, when I see young singers in their twenties and thirties with a lot of aspirations, that that's great, but that would only go so far as long as your health is with you, (laughs) you know? So if you have some sort of health issue, then it makes it a little more difficult, but yeah, definitely that that's an important part of, of, of being an entrepreneur is being able to 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 afford your own health care and hopefully within the next decade maybe we'll continue to work on that as well the, the united states will be able to offer that a little more yes, even yes. absolutely because we need that Everybody. for not only yeah. our physical well-being but for our mental spiritual well-being we're reaching the end of the hour and i like to thank my husband mark for keeping us on the level and on time today we kind of swapped roles and yes we did <laughs> so thanks and i'd like to thank louise for coming on the show today and sharing his experience and insight as a musician's approach to remaining self-employed in a really tough business so thank you thank for you. having me oh it's been a pleasure if you missed some of the show today you can listen to the replay on thursday at 1 p.m central time on wvlp 103.1 fm or live stream at www.wvlp.org And we store the past shows on Mark's website at www.mondocrm.com forward slash podcast. Or you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app at any time. We're listed in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Podbean. Just search for Mark Mondo and the show will come up. And you can subscribe to the show for the latest updates. And the show is now on YouTube. Just search for Mondo CRM or Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo, and the episodes will come up on the YouTube feed. Thank you very much for spending time with us today, and we hope to see you next week.